This is We Need to Talk About Sam, a podcast where a Supernatural superfan and a Supernatural newbie discuss every single episode of the hit CW show. This week, we'll be covering Season 2, Episode 9, Croatoan. I'm, I'm Kenzie. Kenzie. <laughs> we almost made it! <laughs> we were so close! <laughs> Love you. I love you too. <laughs> you just leave it. It's cute. I'm Haley. <laughs> and we need to talk about Sam. <laughs> Depends on how it sounds. You're lucky I like you so much. Alright. I love you. I love you. A fun fact for you guys. I'm not sure if it still is this way. Let me check. Is this episode... Oh, it's not anymore. Unless it's titled this... Okay. What? So according to the Super Wiki, um, this episode is titled Croatian. <laughs> on um imdb it's not if you go to the page of that episode let me see if it is on the season list um no it's croatoan they fixed it that's a bummer because that's funny it's so (laughs) true they named yeah according to the super wiki the title of this episode on imdb was listed as croatian (laughs) That's great. <laughs> I know, right? Oh, man. All right. So, Croatoan. This was written by John Shabon. Um, I think that's how you say his last name. I'm it going looks like it. based <laughs> off of, I don't know. And it was directed by Robert Singer, um, which I knew immediately upon seeing the final shot of this episode because he likes his zooms. <laughs> he, it's iconic dramatic zooms it's great that tickles <laughs> yes <laughs> i love you <laughs> all right I'm tired i know i love you <laughs> all right so our recap for this episode um we get the family business line again and then we get uh the clip of john of azazel asking john if he knows the truth about sam which I totally forgot happens. Um, or happened. <laughs> uh, we reiterate Sam's visions, um, how John lied to Sam about knowing the demon's plans, um, how Dean is now lying about John not saying anything to him, um, and also how poorly Dean is handling John's death. So we open with. The way this is edited with the slow-mo, this opening shot of Dean um, in a, like, hospital hallway. It's a clinic, we'll learn later, but it kind of looks like a hospital, which I guess is, the clinic is like a tiny hospital. I don't know. <laughs> but we it's see like a him, doctor's office, basically. <laughs> we see him load a gun and enter a room where a man is tied to a chair, and the man starts yelling that it's not in him, it's not in him, and um, he begs Dean to ask the doctor, and the doctor says she can't tell, 
and there's there's another guy a black guy who's saying well you know maybe he's telling the truth um and dean's like i can't risk that and so while the man tied to the chair continues to beg dean aims the gun and fires and we oh we cut right to um sam waking on the up on the floor of a motel room to apparently having a vision poor dude went down hard (laughs) um it seems like it's like mid-afternoon evening because dean's coming back with beer so i don't think sam was taking like was like sleeping and fell off the bed plus the bed's perfectly made but so dean comes in with beers um in time to see sam sit up he's he's very confused (laughs) Uh, we cut from there to the boys driving down the highway. They're heading to River Grove, Oregon. Grover. <laughs> River Grover. <laughs> River Grover, Oregon. <laughs> um, Dean asks how Sam is sure that this is the town they're supposed to go to, and Sam says, there's only two in the U.S., and he's certain it's this one. Are you fixing my typo? No, I'm trying oh, okay. to scroll. <laughs> doesn't want me to scroll. We both have my notes document open, so. Um, Sam's certain that it's the one in Oregon because he saw a picture of Crater Lake. Um, fun fact, River Grove, Oregon doesn't exist. Uh, according to the wiki, let me find it. Is it in the minutia? Might be. Yeah, the town of River Grove, Oregon is fictional. There are also no towns near Crater Lake that are large enough to have their own medical clinic. Um, so, entirely fictional town. That's the wrong document. Um... Dean asks, like, again, what Sam saw. Sam says it was a dark room, some people, a guy tied to a chair, and Dean shot the dude. Um, (laughs) Dean asks if the guy was possessed, and Sam says he couldn't see anything demonic. Dean's like, well, like, I had to have had a good reason to kill the guy. You know? Like, he he wouldn't just kill an innocent person. Yeah. He gets kind of defensive, because Sam... Doesn't seem convinced. Yeah. (laughs) Which is weird. It's really interesting, but I think... This is Sam's gut, or demonic powers, I don't know, one or the other, telling him that this guy is actually innocent, and, but, I don't know, then Dean, or, yeah, Sam's a little bit unconvinced. Um, Dean is very defensive. (laughs) But, whatever's going on, um, you okay? Chills. (laughs) Whatever is going on, that man's a part of it, so they have to find him. Um, and they arrive in River Grove, and this is where Sam conveniently spots the black guy he saw in his vision sitting on a bench outside of a shop. I think he's got a fishing rod. I thought no, it was a gun at first. It's a gun, I think. Are you sure? It had a big, like, sight on it. Is it a- are you sure it's a gun? Yeah. I, I thought it was a gun, but then when we saw it from the back, I was like, is that a fishing rod? I don't know. I'm sure it was a gun, but- <laughs> It was either a gun or a fishing rod. It's the rod. one he ends up using later in the episode. Oh, is it? a sniper rifle. Oh, that would, mo- that would make more sense, yeah. Why is he messing with it in- on broad daylight? I don't on know. On a public street? It seems a little- Whatever. Sca- sketchy, but- <laughs> Yeah. Um, the boys go to talk to him and introduce themselves as U.S. Marshals. Uh, they say they're looking for someone, a young man, early 20s, he's a- scar blow his hairline uh this guy does is not inclined to help them until dean spots a tattoo on his arm and correctly identifies him as a master sergeant um this guy's name's mark by the way i'm gonna just call him mark we don't learn that until later in the episode but i'll call him mark um, i'm not sure i ever caught his name <laughs> the or anyone's name in this episode the lady... there's too many going <laughs> stuff yeah. going on but... yeah there's a lot going on in this episode um, Dean says that his dad was in the Marine Corps as well, and this kind of 
gets the guy to relax. I don't know anything about, like, military families, even considering my grandpa was a helicopter pilot (laughs) in the military. But, like, I don't... If you were, like, a veteran and a guy came up to you and was like, oh, yeah, my dad was a veteran, too, like, would that automatically kind of endear you to them a little more? I guess Probably. I don't know. I don't, know. I don't. I don't have any knowledge of this. Um, he tells them that Dwayne Tanner has a scar like the one Sam described. Um, he lives with his family up on Aspen Way. So the boys start walking, and they walk past the Impala. The flagging of this is a little weird because they walk past the Impala. I'm like, are they planning to walk to Aspen Way? Because <laughs> they drive later. <laughs> um, but as they're walking, Sam bumps into. Yeah, I'm not a... quite sure where they were trying to go. I don't know where they were going. Sam bumps into what I thought was a power pole, but then later decided might be a tree. Um, <laughs> I thought it was a power pole. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know. And he, he bumps into it, though, and he looks back to see the word Croatoan carved in the wood. Um, he points it out to Dean, who was like, I don't know. And Sam's like, Roanoke, Lost Colony. And then he asks if Dean paid any attention in history class, and Dean says, yeah, before he starts referencing Schoolhouse Rock. <laughs> oh, Dean. I'm just a bill. <laughs> That's the only one I remember. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> it's iconic. Okay. Or conjunction junction. Conjunction what's your function? Why is this still in my head? <laughs> Gosh, okay. But Sam's like, that's not school. That's schoolhouse rock. <laughs> uh, he explains that Roanoke was one of the first English colonies in the Americas. And Dean's like, oh yeah, yeah, they disappeared and left only a single wo- word carved in a tree behind. And there are lots of theories about what happened, but nobody really knows the truth. Um, Dean asks Sam if he thinks that's what's going on, and Sam's like, well, I don't know. (laughs) Um, They really only briefly touch on Roanoke, but because Croatoan is the name of this title, this episode, and it makes two appearances, well, three. I mean, it's kind of showing a supernatural parallel of what could have happened to Roanoke, right? Yeah, because Roanoke does actually, like, it has become part of the American, like, mythology of this colony that just disappeared. You know, a lot of these, like, American mysteries have now, like, been solved. They're not really mysteries anymore. (laughs) Yeah. So... Like, the whole thing with Amelia Earhart, they finally identified her bones and stuff, like... Well, they, they, they found bones that could have been hers, and then they were like, oh, I don't know... No, no. They and finally then, did and a then, test well, on it. I but then later, clarify. I don't remember them doing a test because last I heard, the bones got lost. What? I and thought... they weren't able to do a test. No, last but I heard. they're like pretty sure last I heard, going off descriptions they, that it they was. They identified really? the DNA and confirmed know. it was hers. But... We don't know. Amelia Earhart's not my specialty. That's um, what I heard anyways. <laughs> but so, uh, I did a little digging on the Roanoke colonies. Um, the first colony quote-unquote and i found um this this website called first colony foundation babe has a drink with ice cubes by the way that's that that's what that sound is i'm not sure how loud it is on the microphone but i'm just letting you know <laughs> that's what you're hearing <laughs> it's just ice um so i found this website called first colony foundation.org i'll include these links in the show notes, obviously, and so on their homepage, the First Colony Foundation described themselves as a North Carolina nonprofit formed in April of 2003 that's dedicated to conducting archaeological and historical research combined with public education 
an interpretation relating to the story of America's beginnings with the attempts by Sir Walter Rawling. Rawlin? Raleigh. What the heck? <laughs> Raleigh. Yeah, I know how to pronounce that. I don't know why my brain broke. Um, but with the attempts by Sir Walter Raleigh to establish English colonies on Roanoke Island in the 1580 or yeah 1580s under his charter from Queen Elizabeth the first. So, um, the the story is not only one of the most compelling in American history, but also a compelling most important in American history. Sorry, but also a compelling saga of vision, struggle, and sacrifice as portrayed in the outdoor drama *The Lost Colony*. But the physical locations of where they lived, worked, worshipped, and perhaps died are unknown and may soon be lost forever. So, kind of their goal is to maintain this knowledge um, and provide education. But they have a page about the Roanoke colonies. So, um, in 1584, Raleigh, an enormously wealthy courtier and favorite of Queen Elizabeth I, sought the Queen's permission to establish a colony in North America. Um, his aim was to establish a colony so as to stake England's claim in the largely unknown to Europeans landmass of North America and from which he could launch raids on the Spanish West Indies and annual trade f- treasure fleets. Uh, in late April of, eight, of 1584, he dispatched two small ships commanded by Philip Amadas and Arthur Barlow on a reconnaissance expedition. Um, local, they, let me find, let me scroll down further. So, and then when they returned, like, they had good news. Um, so in April of 1585, Raleigh fitted out a fleet of five ships and two pinnaces. I don't know how to pronounce that. Carrying approximately Word. 600 soldiers. I have no idea. Don't know how to say that. <laughs> and seamen under the command of Sir Richard Granville, his cousin. <laughs> seamen. <laughs> um, they established a fort and settlement on Roanoke Island, eventually. Um, Granville and the fleet departed shortly after to return to England for additional settlers and supplies, leaving behind a garrison of 108 men under Lane's command. So they found the mouth of Chesapeake Bay, made contact with the local tribes, explored the rivers. Then later they were forced to abandon the the island in 1586 owing to hostilities between the English and the Secatoans on whom Lane's men depended for food. (laughs) That, That sucks. I can't remember where... Okay. So in eighteen in April of fifteen eighty seven, um, John White led a group of one hundred and eighteen men, women, and children, including his daughter Eleanor and son in law, and now, and babe, do you have a, any idea how to pronounce his first name? Ananias Dare. Ananias. Ananias, maybe? Ananias Dare. I'm gonna go with that. Um, besides many friends and associates, to establish a settlement on. The Chesapeake Bay called the city of Raleigh. They never reached their destination. However, the mariners responsible for transporting them put the settlers off at Roanoke Island instead and refused to take them further. After remaining on the island for six weeks, White returned to England at the end of August for supplies and reinforcements, but he was unable to get back to Roanoke Island for three years, by which time the colonists had disappeared, leaving behind only a cryptic message 
CRO and Croatoan that told him they had moved to Croatoan Island 50 miles to the south where Mateo's people lived. See, uh, this historians is... did not know what that meant for a long time. <laughs> I don't know why they were so clueless. While trying to reach them, this is the reason why it was kind of a mystery, is because while trying to reach them, a fierce storm drove his ship out to sea and the attempt was abandoned. White returned to England and moved to Munster in South Ireland, where he likely died in the early years of the 17th century. And what happened to the colonists remains a mystery. Um, well, they said they moved. It's kind yeah. of straightforward. <laughs> so, the standard historical accounts argue that a small group removed to Croatoan Island probably in late 1587 or early 1588, while the main group went to live with the Chesapeake Indians on the north shore of the Chesapeake Bay, possibly near the Lynn Haven River or Elizabeth River. Other research has provided a different theory whereby the main group moved due west up the Albemarle Sound to the island to the lands of the Choanox. Choanox, yeah. We're gonna go with that because I did not look at how to pronounce things. Um, some might have eventually moved farther west up the Roanoke River and joined Tuscarora peoples. Um, it's generally believed that many of the colonists and their descendants were killed by a large raiding party of Powhatan warriors sent in the spring of 1607 by the Powhatan Paramount Chief. I cannot pronounce his name, but he was the father of Pocahontas. Wahunsanakak. Wahunsanakak, maybe. Yeah. Um, To destroy the colonists and their their Native American allies, he apparently feared the possibility that the Jamestown settlers who arrived in the Chesapeake Bay in late April might develop contacts with the Roanoke settlers and peoples they lived on or lived with and thereby threaten his chiefdom. A few of the Roanoke colonists survived the attack, however, and fled up the Chowan River or found refuge with the Tuscarora people in a place called Akanahawan. On the Roanoke River. <laughs> this article is just a struggle so, yeah. of names. <laughs> but essentially, like, this has always been a great mystery, but, like, we kind of know what happened. It feels to me similar to the Franklin Expedition, where the English were like, they disappeared. I don't know what happened. Don't know where the boats went. And the native people of the area were like, had all these stories about the boats. And then later when people, like ask them like why didn't you like tell us where the boats were they were like well you didn't ask and also you were jerks so <laughs> like it feels like a it's similar like, situation uh, they joined us and yeah <laughs> we joined forces basically yeah so babe has uh another article we probably won't get too deep into it about how arche- archaeologists may have um solved the mystery and has some information on like more recent research I think you just scrolled all the way into another article. <laughs> like, why don't I? Okay. I don't know there's more than one article on here. But on the conclusion of it um, was that the historical evidence says um, where they went, which is Hatteras. Yeah, Hatteras Island, which used to be called Croatoan. Croatoan Island. Yeah. So, so it's posi- basically saying a small group went to the Croatoan Island in the fall or winter of 1587 to wait for John White to return while the remainder moved inland. Yep. And when he never came back, they just integrated with the local people. Basically. Because that was their best option. They found, like, Elizabethan era stuff on Hatteras Island during that yeah. time frame, which shows, like, they moved there 
Yeah. Which is exactly what they wrote on the tree. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so they told dumb. us where they went. They told us where they went. <laughs> and we're and like, everyone where did was they like, go? oh no, it was a mystery. <laughs> God, it's so dumb. Oh, uh, okay. Getting back to the episode. Imagine being those people. Like, if they were able to look down and, like, <laughs> and, like they're so oh, stupid. We wrote down Oh my gosh, yeah. <laughs> I so... guess we should have wrote out a whole sentence on the tree. <laughs> we went to Chromatopoly. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> Essentially, for supernatural lore, what they the reason they're pulling off of this story is because the whole colony quote unquote disappeared. Um, Dean asks if Sam thinks that that's what's happening in this town, and Sam says that whatever he saw wasn't good, but like, uh, he's like, what could you know do something like that? And Dean's like, I don't know, Sam. Maybe it's the demon <laughs> that your visions are always linked to. <laughs> Well, did we mention Sam's theory about it? Or are you about to get to that? About it being a virus? No, about it being a demon. Oh, he doesn't get to that until after Dean comes back. That's after we learn it's a virus. Oh, okay. We're only on page two, my love. But it disappeared, okay? I don't know where we're at. <laughs> we're only on page two. I mean, did you lose my little marker? Oh. Uh, um. Okay. So they decide they're going to call either Ellen or Bobby to help, but when Dean pulls out his phone, he can't get a signal, neither can Sam. Dean tries a payphone nearby. Ah, the era of payphones. <laughs> I don't know if any of our listeners lived during the time of payphones. I vaguely remember them. I never actually used one. I never actually used the payphone, but I at least know what they were. Yeah, I never um, used one either. So, but the, the line is dead on this phone. Uh, and Dean very wisely points out that if he was going to massacre an entire town, cutting off communication to the outside would be his first step. Thought real hard about that, have you? <laughs> Has he thought this out before? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's just, it makes sense. So the boys, with no other real option except for to follow the one lead they, ha- lead they have, go to Dwayne's house. Um, Dwayne where the Rock Johnson. A young man answers the door. He will later learn his name is Jake. Um, From he State <laughs> i love you okay so he introduces himself as Dwayne's brother um Dwayne is gone on a fishing trip and the brother doesn't know when he'll be back um dean's like well your parents home and the kid's like yeah his dad comes to the door miss and i'll just call him mr tanner because that's the only name we know him by um, he doesn't know when Dwayne will be back either. Sam's like, well, maybe your wife knows. And he, Mr. Tanner says she's not home right now, which contradicts what Jake just said, which is that both his parents were home. <laughs> um, she's out getting groceries. Uh, Mr. Tanner says he can have Dwayne call them. And Dean's like, now nah, we'll just stop by later. And the boys start to leave, but they kind of get a, they both have kind of a bad feeling about this. Because it was fucking weird. <laughs> it was real weird. Um, I think... Dean says it was a little too Stepford. <laughs> um, and then they go sneaky around the side of the house. <laughs> the way they, like, duck down and are, like, walk... It's really funny. It's kind of funny to watch. Okay, so they, they creep around the side of the house and peek through a window to see Mrs. Tanner tied to a chair. Um, uh, and her son reassures her that it, quote-unquote, won't hurt. And then his dad pulls out a knife and cuts the son's arm and uh starts dripping they start dripping the blood onto a cut on mrs tanner's shoulder but the boys don't see this because they are too busy breaking in through a side door 
And shooting. And shooting them. <laughs> so yeah, Dean shoots Mr. Tanner when he tries to attack him with the knife, and the son leaps out a window and escapes. Um, and Sam 100% could have made that shot. Sam, like, stands there in the window and watches the guy run away, and I'm like, Sam, the only person better, that's a better shot than you is Dean. Like, you could have made that. Yeah, he definitely could have made it, but I think he he didn't want to. He did it on purpose. Yeah, Yeah, he's, Dean talks about it later. Um, so the boys rush Mrs. Tanner to a local clinic where Sam takes Mrs. Tanner inside and a nurse comes out to help and calls for Dr. Amanda Lee, who is a key character in this episode. She directs them all into a back room, and this is when Dean comes in, carrying a dead body. <laughs> uh, and Dr. Lee's like, oh, was Mr. Tanner attacked too? And Dean's like, no, he did the attacking, and then he got himself shot. <laughs> and then he's like, I'm a U.S. Marshal, I'd show you my badge, but he's got a whole ass dead body across his shoulders. Um, and she tells him to, like, come on back. So, they all headed into a back room where Dr. Lee starts kind of cleaning up Mrs. Tanner's cut, and um, we learned that, um, Jake, her son, helped her husband attack her, and she doesn't know why they would act this way. She says it was like they had the devil in them. Uh, which is when Dean, like, this prompts Dean to take Sam into another room, and they speculate over what could be going on. Could be multiple demons, mass possession, they didn't see any of the usual signs, though, like, Mr. Tanner died via regular bullets, and they definitely didn't see him smoke out. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, uh, and this is when Dean's like, you totally could have made the shot to kill the other one, um, which Sam's like, he's just a kid, and Dean's like, well, now's not really a good time to be a big (laughs) softy. Like, that just a kid was attacking his own mother, like, Sam. Um... So the doctor comes out and they like ask how Mrs. Tanner's is doing and she says terrible. And she's like, What the fuck is going on? Uh Dean's like, I don't know we don't we don't know. And she's like, Yeah, well you just killed my next door neighbor, so you better have an answer. <laughs> like, um and she says they need to get the county sheriff. Uh but the phones are down, which she already knew, she already tried. She asks if they have a police radio in their car and they say they do, but that's down too. I do think we see not in this episode, but like over throughout the series, we do see them use police radios. I think John uses one in um, first episode with vampires. Can't remember what it's called. We see John use a police radio, so I'm assuming the boys do actually have one. Yeah, um, and they probably did try it. But, so Dean asks how far it is to the next town, um, which. Dr. Lee says it's 40 miles, and he decides that he's going to drive out to find help while Sam stays put to keep them all safe. I love that. <laughs> safe from what? Let me get back to you on that. <laughs> he has no idea. Um, so Dean is he's driving out of town. He encounters a car in the middle of the road. I don't think we ever like learn whose car this is. Um, but the windows are broken and there's blood inside, and he finds a bloody knife on the ground. Um, but yeah, I don't think we ever learned whose car this is. This is the car in the middle of the road. Um, so, meanwhile back at the clinic, Dr. Lee is examining a blood sample from Mr. Tanner, and she says it looks like he was fighting off some kind of viral infection. But it's nothing she's ever seen before or heard of, and she can't think of anything that would make someone act so violently. 
Um, and she's definitely never seen one that leaves a weird residue in a person's blood. Uh, if she didn't know better, she would say it was sulfur. <laughs> Which Sam basically looks into the camera like he's in the office when he hears that. <laughs> like, dun-dun-dun. <laughs> oh. Alright. So, Dean arrives at a bridge heading out of town. It's blocked off by cars and guys with guns. One of them is Jake Tanner. Uh, and as he's kind of like stopped the car trying to figure out what to do, a guy comes up to Dean's window and scares the shit out of him. <laughs> Startled me too. I was, forgot that was happening. And tells Dean that the road is closed for quarantine. Um, apparently it's an order from the county sheriff and it's not to keep something in, it's to keep something out. Um, he tries to ask, he tries to get Dean to step out of the car to talk, but Dean is not having it, <laughs> and he puts the car in reverse. This is a kind of a fun, a great stunt, like, the guy hanging on to Dean's jacket yeah. as he drives away, and then, <coughs> um, Dean manages to get the guy to let go, and he zips off. I thought you were gonna cough again. <laughs> She's just yawning. <laughs> All right. Um, so back at the clinic, Dr. Lee is explaining the whole virus thing to Mrs. Tanner, and she asks if Mrs. Tanner had direct contact with um, either her husband or Jake's blood. Um, and Mrs. Tanner is always so, like, freaked out about this. Like, I'm sorry, you're saying they had a virus and I might have this virus too? <laughs> uh, she, Dr. Lee wants to take a sample um, which Mrs. Tanner agrees to, but when Dr. Lee touches her, Miss Tanner starts, like, screaming. Uh, and she throws Dr. Lee, and then she throws Sam. Yeah. Impressive. Uh, she tries to attack Sam, but he hits her over the head with a fire extinguisher. Ouch. Um, for once, Sam's not the one getting knocked out. <laughs> then, um, so Dean, on his drive back to the clinic, almost runs over... Mark, the guy from earlier. <laughs> like, he comes out of nowhere. Dean, yeah. like, head checks and turns back, and the dude's in the middle of the road. <laughs> Pointing a sniper rifle. Yeah. <laughs> um, he tells Dean to get out of the car, and Dean obeys, but he pulls out his own gun. So now they are got guns pointed at each other, and they're arguing over who has to put their gun down first. <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. Poor Dean's like, okay, let's not shoot each other. Let's take it easy. So they both kind of lower their weapons a little. And talk, and we learn that this guy's neighbor, Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Dean's like, you have a na neighbor named Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> came, Mr. Rogers came at him with a hatchet, and he had to kill him. And he says that whatever's going on seems to be happening to everyone. Um, Dean's like, well, I'm going back to the clinic, but Mark <clears throat> wants to leave town. Um, when Dean tells him that the bridge is blocked off, Mark doesn't believe him. Dean's like, fine, have fun. I'm going. And he gets back in his car. But before he leaves, uh, Mark pulls out his own pistol and gets in the passenger seat. And they drive the whole way back with their guns pointed at each other. <laughs> I'm assuming it's the whole way back. At some point, they must have dis relaxed a little bit. Yeah. But it's. it's I mean, pretty, by the time they good. get to the clinic, they're over it, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. So, back at the clinic, the nurse, Pam, um, she's getting really nervous. She wants to leave. She needs to go check on her boyfriend. Um, Dr. Lee's like, well, the marshal's gonna bring help. 
Um, and Sam says it's better if she stays. And this is when Dean arrives. Um, and they send Mark back to go find Dr. Lee. And Dean tells Sam that Mark is the only sane person he's encountered. <laughs> and this is where Sam explains uh, Dr. Lee's theory that it's a virus transmitted through blood-to-blood -blood contact and it leaves traces of sulfur. And this is where my least favorite details this episode comes up, which is that apparently John had a theory about the word Croatoan and that it was the name of a demon of plague and pestilence. <sighs> Supernatural. <laughs> Really? You're gonna say you're gonna say John had a theory that the name of a tribe, a Native American tribe, was the, the name, name of, of a, a demon? demon? Yeah. I was like Not my when favorite. When I heard that I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Excuse no. Um Sam also says uh the demon's name sometimes known as Deva, sometimes Reshef, a demon of plague and pestilence, and I'll include the wiki page for Reshef, the super wiki page, because um, according to Wikipedia, Reshef was a Semitic god of plague and war. He bore the head of a gazelle on his forehead, and was an important member of the pantheon of Ugarit, though not mentioned in Ugaritic mythological texts. Text. Sorry. Can't talk. Um, uh, Christopher Siren identifies Reshef as a Mesopotamian god of pestilence. So... That is who Reshef is. Huh, there's a theory that Dean's amulet is a Mesopotamian figure. Yeah. Huh. It's interesting, huh? Um, Sam doesn't know why this demonic plague is happening here and now, but they have to, wait to find a way to stop it before it spreads. Um, this is where Mark is like, y'all gotta get back here, and it is revealed to Dean that Mrs. Tanner is infected. Um, and Mark says that the longer they wait the stronger she's going to get, so they have to kill her now. Um, and Dr. Lee doesn't have a cure for it because she doesn't even know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they go into the room where Mrs. Tanner is locked up, and she begs... This is where we learn Mark's name. Because she oh, begs yeah. him to help her. Um, and this is really interesting because Mark is hesitating, and Dean says to Sam, are you sure she's infected? And Sam says, yes. And Dean steps in and shoots her. And then later in this episode, when there's another potentially infected person, and Sam says, no, like, we're not sure, Dean can't pull the can't trigger. It, yeah. It's, uh, ah, I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> so good. Okay. So yeah, Dean kills Mrs. Tanner. Poor Mrs. Tanner. <laughs> I think her name is Beverly. Beverly Tanner. Um, because I'm pretty sure the doctor calls... I mean, it makes sense. She's her neighbor. She'd know. Um, so we got to kind of later... It's nighttime, and Mark is, like, peeking through the blinds in the waiting room, and we see people standing outside the clinic while the boys... like, staring at him creepily. Yeah. yeah. So the boys are... Lo the boys are loading guns. Um, and they hear a crash and rush to the back room where they find Pam panicking because she dropped some of the blood samples. Um, and she wants to go. She, she wants to get out of here. Dean says that the infected are everywhere, so there's nowhere to go, but Sam's like, no, she's right, we can't stay here. Um, they have to get out, they have to warn people. Um, I think Dean says, um, what does he make, what is it he makes a reference to? Um, Night of the Living Dead didn't exactly end pretty. <laughs> so... 
Um, so this is where Mark makes the point that um, most of the people out there are going to be pretty good shots, so unless the boys have something bigger than just guns, they're screwed. And Sam, Sam's a smart bean. He spots some chemicals on a shelf and is like, uh, we could make some explosives. <laughs> and so that's what they start to do. That's what they plan to do. But before they get into that, though, Dwayne arrives. Um, he just got back from his fishing trip. He saw one of his neighbors get attacked. Um, he asks about his parents, which is awkward. <laughs> um, and then Dr. Lee finds a cut on his leg, which he says he must have, he must have tripped. Um, and Dean orders Mark to tie Dwayne up. Um, they, they don't have a way to tell yet if he's been infected because according to Dr. Lee, the sulfur didn't start to show up in Mrs. Tanner's blood until three hours, uh, by which point she already turned. So they have to basically wait to know if Dwayne's been infected until... If he turns or not. <laughs> he, yeah, if he turns or not. Um, which so... They can also kind of disguise that they aren't turned. Yeah. So it's like kind Beverly, of a hard way to... <laughs> like, Mrs. Tanner was acting kind of normal, and also so was Pam. Yeah. So Sam asks Dean to talk in another room while Mark ties Dwayne up. And this is where Sam says that this is playing out just like his vision, and Dean can't kill Dwayne because they don't know if he's infected. Dean's like, well, I'm sure, pretty sure. And Sam's like, no, you're fucking not. <laughs> we don't know. Uh, we'll just keep him tied up until we can know for certain. Um, Dean's like, yeah, until he hulks out and kills us? Like, no thanks. He's not gonna take that chance. Um, and he says he doesn't want to kill the kid, but it's a tough job. Um, basically someone's gotta do it. And Sam is very worried about Dean, because he, he says Dean hasn't been acting like himself lately, because this job is supposed to be tough. This isn't supposed to be an easy choice for Dean to make. Um, and he's like, you're about to kill an innocent man, and you don't even seem to care. Um, and he tries to stop Dean, but Dean just, like, shoves him and locks him in. I think the waiting room is where they are. Um, Dean goes into the room where Dwayne is tied up, and this is what I was talking about earlier, about how, um, Dean cannot pull the trigger. Um, despite all of his attitude and assist insistence that they know for certain they, they have to, you know... They can't take the risk. He doesn't actually want to kill Dwayne, and he knows that Sam is right, um, I think. And he can't. The possibility of killing an innocent person is not something he's going to take, you know? Yeah. So, even with the risk that Dwayne could be infected and spread it to them, like, he's not going to take it. And like I said earlier, it's a really interesting contrast to, like, he killed Mrs. Tanner so easily. Mm -hmm. Sam was like, yeah, we're, we're certain she's infected, and Dean was like, okay, boom. You know? Yeah. And this time, Sam's like, this time he, he thought both were infected, but the difference between the two is that this time Sam has said, no, I'm not sure. Yeah. We can't know for sure, and as a result, Dean cannot pull the trigger. Uh, and I really love it. I, this is such a good brother episode. Such a good brother episode. This moment specifically really shows how much of an influence Sam has over Dean. Um, and I love it. 
it's so interesting. It gives us such a great insight into them. Alright, so we cut to, um, I think about four hours later, Dr. Lee says it is, uh, the boys are making bombs. <laughs> when Dr. Lee says, comes in and says that Dwayne isn't infected. And she very snarkily asks if she can untie him, and Sam's like, double checks with Dean, because I'm guessing Dean has been very, like, like, maximum safety about this. Yeah. Uh, Sam, Dean gives a little nod, and Sam's like, yeah, go ahead. Um... And Sam asks Dean why he didn't do it, and Dean does not answer. He just says they need more alcohol. Sam, I have an answer for you. It's because you told him not to. <laughs> it's because you said no. Um, Sam says he'll go get more alcohol, and he goes into the other room uh, where he runs into Pam. Um, he asks how she's holding up, and she says good, and then it'll all be over soon. And then she walks over and closes and locks the door. Uh, and then... They kind of, at first it seems a little bit like she's flirting with him. Yeah. <laughs> Did you catch that? Yeah. I forgot that detail. It seems a little like she's flirting with him and Sam's like, seriously, in this, like, now? Like, right now? Because <laughs> she's like, I've been waiting for this. And he's like, waiting for what? And she's like, to get you alone. And she's like, right up in his face a little bit. And like, it's very, <laughs> very, feels very, like, flirty, like she's trying to get his guard down. Uh, and then she jumps him. <laughs> <laughs> yelling literally yeah literally jumps him um she knocks him down um dean hears pam yelling and runs to help sam but the door is obviously locked um but before dean can get there pam um cuts sam's chest and then cuts her hand and presses her hand t the the wounds together we learned she's been affected right infected before yep right the whole before time. dean breaks in and shoots her i I could have sworn there was, um, sorry babe, my shoulder doesn't like that today. Sorry. I could have sworn there was a shot earlier, like when she drops the glass, like she'd like, had like a tiny cut. She was wearing gloves. I, maybe I missed it. Or did did she get infected and we didn't realize it? Maybe I missed it. Cause like she's been infected. It's been at least four-ish hours since she got infected. It's like, it makes sense. But I could have sworn, because there's the scene where she drops the vials. Oh. I swear there was, like, a shot of, like, a, a cut in her gloves and a little cut on her finger. Was that when she was handling the blood samples? Yeah, and she drops them mm. right before Dean gets back. But I don't remember seeing that on this watch through, so maybe I made it up. I don't know when for sure she got go back and check. I'm not sure. I really, we really should. I'm gonna open Netflix. Let's see. I might Netflix, have completely help missed us. that. Help us, Netflix. You're our only hope. I'll make this bigger. Um, ooh. Let me add that to my list. That looks interesting. Oh, I was. <laughs> I was on here earlier because I found a um, convention clip where Jensen, I'll have to link this tweet in the description, Jensen and Jared tell the story about how during the filming of uh, Skin, episode six of the first season, um, the scene where they first figure out it's a, a shapeshifter, Jensen could not say the word shapeshifter. <laughs> 
he kept, he like, he was like, I was like, he like, blah, 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 shapeshifter, blah, 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 <laughs> you know, like, and it doesn't, he says it twice in that scene, and the first time, you can't, like, it's a little bit noticeable that he's, like, purposefully pronouncing the word, but the second time, he, like, blurs it with the word after it, and it's, it's really funny, but there's a great convention video where he, um, he and Jared are telling that story. Um, let's see. Keep getting the chills. <laughs> um, or it's right before, it's right before Dwayne shows up that the glass breaks. Or, here it is. Okay. Boys are prepping their guns. Very serious. Glass shatters. Is there any on me? You're clean. Hmm? No? Maybe I just made that shot up. That must have been where she got infected, though. Like, I don't know when she could have gotten infected. Unless she's been faking it all day. Yeah. I really could have sworn there was a shot of, like, a little cut on her finger. Huh. Let me see. They made it ahead. super, super subtle or something. I don't know. I didn't see it there. Um, me. This is, oh, yeah, this is Dwayne. Okay, here's the scene where she jumps him. Nope, that's... Well, now there's a cut on her. <laughs> yeah, now there's a cut on her, because she just cut herself. Gosh, the editing of that. It's very shaky cam. Very shaky cam. I don't think we ever see... How she got infected. No, I don't think we do. I, I must have just imagined that shot. <laughs> because it's not there. Not I mean, there. It makes sense that that yeah. would be where she did, but... Yeah. Unless they she never verify. was infected from the beginning. Or... or unless the demon did something. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. They never... Maybe maybe there was a little delete A shot that ended up on the cutting room floor. There was no deleted scenes for this episode. Huh. Um, um, but yeah, so Pam infects Sam right before Dean breaks in the door and shoots her. Um, the way Sam reaches for Dean right here... <laughs> like, Dean's still like pretty far away. Dean's like just inside the door and Sam like reaches out for him and it's it's very baby brother and it's adorable. But Mark stops Dean from helping Sam up and says that Sam has the virus. We cut to a bit later, Sam's like got an ice pack <laughs> pressed to his chest. I mean Yeah, he's probably hurting a bit. <laughs> he got taken out by a Do demonic ice nurse. Packs <laughs> help cuts? I, I would imagine like if it's like a bit steamy, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. You might have, I'm, she does I'm take a little congested. Can you guys tell? <laughs> My allergies are acting up today. Yeah. So this is I love this scene so much. Oh my gosh! Ah, it's so good. So Dean asks Doctor Lee to check Sam's wound again. Um, Mark wound. gets. It's a funny word. It is a very funny word. <laughs> Mark it. gets really mad, and he's like, 
he's infected. Like, there's nothing we can do. We have to kill him. And Dean is like, hell to the fucking no. Nobody is touching my brother. Um, not even Sam, who tells <laughs> Dean to just give me, give him the gun and he'll do it himself. Yeah. Um, but Dean is not gonna let that happen. Um, Mark pulls out his gun, but Dean says that if Mark makes a move on Sam, he'll be dead before he hits the floor. And Dean is very serious. I, I love, I love this part of Dean. The part that goes a little bit insane when Sam's in danger, a little bit crazy. It's so good because it's such an interesting nuance to this character because these boys are always so, like, they're heroes, you know? They save the day, but when it comes to each other, all the rules are gone. Yeah. All bets are off. Like, Sam does the same thing. Like, there oh, are yeah. 100% <laughs> moments in the show when Dean is in danger and Sam is, like, feral. Yeah. <laughs> it's so good. There's literally a character in a later season, I think it's... 11, who's like, don't worry about Sam. Sam's fine. And Dean goes, I'm sorry, have you met me? <laughs> it's really good. But the boys just, they, they're just a little bit unhinged and it's so good. Ah, I love it. So, Dean, uh, Dean gives Mark his car keys and this is how you know Dean is really determined, because he just gave Impala's this dude keys, the keys yeah. to his most his second most precious possession, which would be his car, the first being Sam, uh, tells Mark to go take the explosives, take the arsenal, get Dr. Lee and Dwayne out. Um, Mark asks what Dean is going to do, and Dean doesn't answer. Uh, and they all know exactly what he's going to do, and Sam's like, no, you have to leave me behind. You have to save yourself. Sam, I don't know if you've met your brother, <laughs> but that's not happening. Dean is not going anywhere. Um, so the others head out. <laughs> I forgot this happened. Right before they leave, right before she leaves, the doctor's like, you know, I'm really sorry. And then she's like, thanks for everything, Marshalls. And Dean's like, oh yeah, we're, we're not, not Marshalls. And she's just like, oh. Oh. <laughs> okay. Her face is so good. Like, it's just, she's like, I know I should be mad that these guys lied to me, but like, in the face Not of the everything. Right now. Nope. <laughs> Not a priority. Alright, so Dean, she leaves. Dean locks the door behind her, and then he's like, huh, oh, I wish we had, like, foosball table or some cards or something. And he's trying to... This is something Dean did earlier in the episode, too, where he tried to kind of, like... Like, it's a stressful... This mood. is This is something Dean does all the time. In, like, yeah. a stressful situation, he jokes around. You know, and it's his way of hiding what he's actually feeling. Um... Sam is doing no hiding. Sam is starting to cry. <laughs> and it's... Oh. It's so good. Um, and he insists um, that Dean should just give him the gun and leave. Um, and his exact words are, it's over for me. It doesn't have to be for you. You can keep going. And Dean's like, yeah, well, I don't want to. Um, and Dean tells Sam that he is tired. We are in season two. <laughs> you can't be tired already. Nah, he can be tired. Um, Dean is tired of the job, tired of the life. 
Um, it sounds like, like, I look, I know it's been rough since Dad died, but you can't just give up. And Dean's like, yeah, this isn't all about Dad. But before he can go on, um, they hear the door to the clinic open and close again, uh, and then someone knocks on the door of the room they're in, and it's Dr. Lee. Um, She's back already. Yeah. But before we get into that, I just I just want to talk about the scene more. <laughs> <laughs> I've Dean Dean's definitely tired. He's been carrying this secret for this is episode since the end of episode one. So yeah. like I'd imagine six ish months maybe. Like we don't have an exact timeline for this. It's not like with uh, with season one where it's like, yeah, we were at like we know there was a week between the end of the pilot and the end of and the beginning of the second episode. We you know, they kind of mentioned some time passing. We don't know how long it's been. Um, between the end of episode one of this season and now. Um, But Dean has been harboring a pretty big secret. Um, And that has to be weighing on him. And now um, his brother is potentially dying. And like knowing knowing what the secret is which, since we're going to talk about it next episode, the secret the thing that John told Dean was that he would have to save Sam. And if Sam couldn't be saved, then Dean would have to kill him. Um, and Dean refuses to kill his brother. And now his brother is dying. Uh, and Dean is gonna die right along with him. Because <laughs> Dean has issues. <laughs> and he cannot imagine a world without his brother in it. This is this is also establishing something that's going to play into the end of the season, I've just yeah. realized. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh, I love this show! It's all about the, the theme of saving Sam. Yeah. yeah. Of saving Sam. That is, Sam is Dean's whole world, you know? And then season three is about saving Dean. <laughs> yep! <laughs> oh, it's so good. It's so good. This scene also, I realized a parallel to a scene from season 11... Um, and I'm not going to go into the details of that scene, but I made a note. So when we reach that episode, I will remember this parallel and we can talk about it. Um, Where's your note? In, um, in my notes folders. Huh? I have, okay. I have many folders. I don't know if you saw the episode notes. I don't even have all the, the seasons. So far I have seven have you already been making notes for other seasons? <laughs> this one's empty. Season three is empty. But season season four has a note for episode 14. Season five has an ep- a note for episode 11. <laughs> season nine has a ep- note for episode 16. And season 11 has one for episode 20. So uh, I've already made notes of things that I want to mention. Parallels, stuff, callbacks, stuff like that. So Parallelograms. What? <laughs> Alright, so Dr. Lee has returned and she tells them that they have to see something and the boys go outside where the it is completely silent. The town is empty. Everyone is just gone. Um, Dean looks at the word Croatoan carved into the pole. I'm gonna just call it a pole. This is the moment where I was like, is that a tree? <laughs> I can't. I'm pretty sure it's a pole, but. It looks like at close up it looks like a pole but then in like a further away shot 
it looks like a tree unless he's looking at something further down the road that is an actual I don't I don't know it's whatever <laughs> Dean looks at the word Croatoan I'm assuming the one they saw earlier um so but yeah everybody is gone except for these five people yep Sam Dean the doctor Dwayne and the sergeant Mark yep five people left in the entire town um, so we cut to later. We never find out what happened to the rest of them, do we? Nope, they just, like, Dean says it's like they melted. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dean tells, or the doctor tells Sam that it has been a f- five hours and his blood is still clean. She doesn't know how he's not infected. And she's like, well, when, when you look at the, the samples from the samples from the Tanner family and she turns to another microscope where she's got their samples, uh, but their samples are clean as well. There is no trace of the virus. So it's literally, not only did the people disappear, the, the virus, virus itself disappeared as well. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It's morning now. Um, Mark and Dwayne are getting ready to leave, loading stuff up into a pickup truck. They are headed south. They offer to bring Dr. Lee with them, but she says she has to stay and talk to the authorities. If they'll even believe her. <laughs> I want to know what she told them. <laughs> um, Dean's like, you know... So Mark and Dwayne leave. Um, Dean asks... Uh, what about Sam? And she's like, he's fine. You know, there was no side of infection. And then she says goodbye and goes back inside. And Dean looks at Sam like, what the fuck? And Sam's like, dude, I don't know. <laughs> um, Dean says that he's gonna lose sleep over this one. Which, yeah. yeah, same. I would too. He's like, you know, why here? Why now? Where the hell did everyone go? Also, why is Sam immune to whatever the fuck happened? Um, so yeah, so the boys get in the car, and they leave. And then, we cut to Mark and Dwayne driving. I totally forgot this happens. <laughs> really? 100%. I didn't. <laughs> 100%. I had no memory of this scene. <laughs> Dwayne asks Mark to pull over, and Mark's like, yeah, sure, cool. Uh, and he says he has, Dwayne says he has to make a call. Very familiar word usage there. Uh, Mark's like, do you you have a phone I don't know about? (laughs) Because there's no phones over here. And Dwayne says he has it covered as he pulls out a silver cup identical to the one we saw Meg use at the end of Scarecrow. Uh, This isn't Meg, right? No. Okay. I don't think so. They never name this demon. Yeah. It'd be interesting if it was Meg, but I think she would have called Sam Sam and not the Winchester yeah. Boy, or whatever he calls him. Um, but yeah. the Dwayne cuts Mark's throat, fills the cup up with his blood, and then uses it as a demonic telephone. <laughs> <laughs> and we, he tells whoever it is that it's over, he doesn't think any more tests will be needed, um, and as expected, Sam was immune. Um, and then he says, yes, nothing left behind. Oh, and we see he has black eyes. And I, I honest to God, cannot read. Like, what the fuck? How did I forget this? This is <laughs> kind, kind of, of a an important detail. Important part of the plot. <laughs> this is this is important. Okay. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. But yeah, so we cut from there to the boys stopped by a lake having some drinks. It's a very jarring jump from <laughs> yeah. demon just murdered a dude to... 
uh, this peaceful scene of the brothers having a couple beers <laughs> while leaning against a fence looking out at a lake, you know? Sam asks Dean, like, he's, you know, about what he was saying back at the clinic. Dean's like, dude, I thought we were gonna die. Like, you can't hold that over me. <laughs> you know? Sam's like, yes, I can. <laughs> yeah, Sam's like, uh, no, I can be an annoying little brother if I want to. And if you aren't gonna tell me, then I'm going to just keep asking. Because that's, that's how little brothers work. Um, and this is when Dean says they should go to the Grand Canyon. Uh, and all the crisscrossing of the, the country that they've done, he's never seen the Grand Canyon. Uh, and he says there may be TJ, which I think the wiki says is a nickname for the city of Tijuana in Baja, California, Mexico. Um, and then Dean, Dean also suggests um, Hollywood. Um, and I had a small realization last night that maybe Dean is suggesting these things because he wants Sam to experience them before potentially things go bad. Yeah. That Not just because he wants to go to these places and see these things, but because he specifically wants Sam to ex have these experiences. Uh, and I had that thought, and it made me sad. <laughs> and it's made me sad again. So, <laughs> um, Sam says that Dean isn't making any sense, and Dean says he thinks they need a break to live a little. They could probably use a vacation at this point in time. Um, and Sam's like, you know, why the hell are you talking about this? Like, why are you talking like this? Um, but Dean just tries to walk away from the conversation. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, Sam's like, you know, whatever weight you're carrying, like, I'm your brother. I can carry some of it, too. I can lighten the load for you. That's that's my job as your brother. Uh, yeah. And Dean says that he can't tell Sam because he made a promise to John. Because before John died, he told <laughs> Dean something. Something about Sam. Um, and Sam's like, what did Dad tell you? And we get dramatic zooms on their faces <laughs> and the episode ends what a cliffhanger <laughs> yeah what a cliffhanger oh my gosh i honestly got thought this episode ended with the reveal of the secret i didn't realize that next episode starts with the reveal but also that it, it makes sense but like i just i knew the i knew it happened somewhere between these two episodes i just didn't remember if it was yeah. At the end of this one, or the beginning of the next one, which the next one is... Let me scroll all the way up. Having fun. I don't know. Probably. Alright, so... Um, uh, before I go into next... Return of Gordon. Yeah. Yeah, next week's episode's so good. Um, let's just wrap this up real quick. I don't think I have anything else left to talk about. I think I've kind of talked it out. And you didn't have anything else you wanted to bring up, right? No. Okay, cool. Well, next week... <laughs> next week... That's the wrong... Gosh, I've got like 12 tabs open. Next week we are covering episode 10, Hunted. Uh, the little outline on the wiki is, After Dean tells Sam what their father told him before he died, a distraught Sam sneaks off to Indiana without him. Uh, I love this episode. It's a good episode. I remember parts of this. Yeah. <laughs> but not all of it. It's so, such a good episode. 
This is a fun fact for you. Um, during the Christmas break leading up to the screening of... Oh my gosh, I didn't realize that this is... This, Croatoan, was the mid-season finale. Was it? They was left wondering. them with this fucking cliffhanger for like a month. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's why gosh. we have that interesting like... Uh... <laughs> Like snippet at the end of last episode. Yeah, it was, it was teasing up. for yeah. the season or mid-season finale. Oh my gosh! And then during the Christmas break and the lead up to the screening of Hunted on January 11th of 2007, a promo clip set to Johnny Cash's "God's Gonna Cut You Down" was released. Um, produced in black and white, it contained scenes from upcoming episodes. Hunted, Playthings, Night Shifter, and Houses of the Holy, which is the next four episodes we'll be covering. Uh, in June of 2007, this is really interesting, this promo won two awards at the annual Promax slash BDA promotion and marketing awards, a gold award for use of library music for a promo, and a silver for drama program promotion. Didn't know he could win awards hmm. for promos. Yeah. <laughs> also, a promo for this episode titled Infected won a gold award for editing at the same awards show in June of 2007. Isn't that interesting? Also, I looked up the God's Gonna Cut You Down promo. It's it's very good. I'll <laughs> link it in the description. Um, it's excellent. It's very, very good. <laughs> Wait, this episode was originally called Infected at first? No, they had a promotion, a promo video for this episode titled Infected. Okay. So, um, if I, I think there's a link for that as well. Um, if there is, that will also be included in the show notes. For this episode but yeah next week we are covering episode 10 hunted right yes hunted. i got unsure about that all of a sudden and i am very excited because i like this episode it's a good one i, I like any <laughs> i like any episode with gordon sterling k brown is just a phenomenal actor yeah. and then you put him with jared and jensen who are also great actors and you just, it's just magic every time. It's so good. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I'm very excited. But yeah, that is it for this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're listening to this. Um, also, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes if you can. It helps the algorithm. It helps more people find us. Um, tell your fellow Supernatural fans about us. Um, and if you want to reach out, you can find the podcast on Twitter at TalkAboutSamPod, on Instagram at We Need to Talk About Sam Podcast. I need to update our Instagram. I've been bad. Um, you can also <laughs> I find us. We had an Instagram, to be honest. <laughs> I forget we do too. It does. It doesn't get that much interaction. So uh, yeah. Um, but you can also find us on Tumblr and TikTok at We Need to Talk About Sam. Um, I run all those accounts, but if you also want to follow or check out my personal account, you can find me at Lil Red Who Could on Twitter and the Little Red Who Could on Tumblr. And Haley, where can the people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at LifeFlowsOn3 and Tumblr at HFThoughts-Blog. Awesome. And of course, as always, links to those accounts will be in the episode description for you guys. Thank you again so much for listening and we will talk to you next week. Bye.
I'm sure it's 29 because for all of season two, it's been 21 was the first episode of season two, 22 was the second episode, and so on, because we didn't do a combo episode, so this one has to be 29. Oh, Haley's breaking the cardinal rule of podcasting. She has a Kit Kat. I'm not the only one. I know, I was also eating Swedish fish. <laughs> we got snacks, I want to eat them. We got snacks and we're hungry. solid black one I have. I think it's actually black jade. Because if you look at it, let me get it. And it's kind of hard to tell in this lighting. I just leaned really close to the microphone. Um, when you look at it, it's kind of brown on this end. Like, it's really hard to tell in this lighting. Yeah, but like, so you it. see the brown streaks. Mm-hmm. It has me, that's, that's why I'm not sure if it's actually obsidian. Which, I mean, nobody said it was obsidian, but I don't think it's obsidian. <laughs> I am I think it might be black jade. might be. It's really pretty either way. I like the I freaking love it. Also, I love it. the shape of it. It fits so nicely in my hand. I'm so picky about rock shapes. Is anybody else really picky about, like, the shape of a, of a rock when you're buying, like, um, non-precious gems and stuff? Like crystals? I'm, yeah, like crystals and... Because I'm so particular, so I, I, I yes it is. It's my little amethyst starfish. I have to like like I have to hold it in my hand and love the feel of it in my hand. Yeah, that's and like important. the texture of it. So yeah, this I'm not sure if it's actually black jade or not. It's really pretty. Oh yeah, it's a chevron amethyst. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a black rock, and just like the way that it curves like fits my this thumb really nicely nice but like hold this and like oh yeah so this is like perfect like worry stone isn't type it of rock. perfect yeah the, the curve of it just fits a thumb so nicely i'm gonna let you fidget with that so you don't pick at your poor fingers have fun fidgeting i'm a skin picker <laughs> she is anxious it's, skin picker it's an adhd thing and an anxiety thing see this one's kind of got the same curve on one part of it and it's really nice I'm so picky. Like, I literally had a rock that I was considering getting, and I was like, it's so pretty. And then I was, like, holding it in my hand, and I was like, never mind, I don't like it. Talk about Sam, a podcast where a supernatural superfan and a supernatural newbie discuss every single episode of the hit CW show. What are you laughing about? <laughs> what are you? What? I just remember last week. Oh. <laughs> that was pretty good. I put all of that at the end, by the way. You did. Because <laughs> it, was, it was good. It was real good. Oh yeah. my gosh. Okay. Trying this again. <laughs> Let's not have a repeat of last week. You hear me giggling in your ear. Feels like any of you giggling. <laughs> oh.
guys, Kenzie here. I just want to give a heads up that Haley and I spend the rest of this episode discussing the absolutely tragic accident that happened on the set of Rust on uh, October 21st. So if that is something you are not in the headspace to be listening to right now, uh, you should probably end the episode here. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you next week. Gosh, I'm tired. I'm so fucking drained. I'm still recovering from being sick, and I have, like, no energy. (laughs) Yeah, babe's recovering from being sick, and I am all hyped up on the, like, adrenaline and learning, following the what was ha- what happened on the rust set of rust yesterday so we are f- recording this on this is friday october 22nd it is what time is it <laughs> it's 1 30 in the morning <laughs> god oh my god we probably shouldn't spend too much time on hi <laughs> you having fun yeah. should we just get right into the episode or yeah, because yeah. babe is tired, and I have to fucking edit this still. Oh my god. Our our outtakes are me rambling about politics again. <laughs> I may not include any of that. I mean, you can. Uh, it's not very exciting. Oh. I did want to talk about what happened on the set of Rust, but... I'm not sure if I actually will. I'm going to include links to um, some of what I feel like are the best articles. I did fucking log in. Oh, no, it's just all the way at the bottom. Okay, I was like, I did log into this. <laughs> oh. I will include some of what I consider to be the most informative and, um, not clickbaity articles about what happened on the set of Rust, which is an absolutely heartbreaking story that I'm sure all the Supernatural fandom has heard about so far. Um, but a lot of the articles, what I'm finding very frustrating is a lot of the articles are framing it with Alec Baldwin as the bad guy. Like, he maliciously did this. But he didn't um and it's just a lot of misinformation and poorly framed information and it is extremely upsetting and also they are a lot of them are really skipping over who was killed so maybe I will get into this because so um I told you about how Jensen I, I think I talked about this last week on the podcast or the week before, I can't remember, how Jensen was cast in the movie Rust. Mm-hmm. It's a western. He was playing Marshall Woodhelm, which is a great name. <laughs> um, so they were filming yesterday, and I am I'm reading off of an NPR article right now. Um, so at about... I'm also kind of going off of memory. At, I think is a little before 2 p.m., um, a 911 call came out from the set of Rust at the Bonanza Creek Ranch in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Um, and a essentially what happened was that 
Alec Baldwin was handed a gun. Uh, according to the New York Times, it, he was told by the person giving him said gun. I can't find the fucking articles. Okay, we're moving this tab so I can find it because <laughs> I can't see it behind my, my camera. Um, he was told by the person who handed him the gun that the gun was cold, which means that it was not loaded. Um, that is what a cold gun is on a film set. Um, and that means it's safe to handle around the crew. Um, and this was during rehearsals and when Baldwin either pulled the trigger or the gun fired on its own. I have heard that this gun had issues the week, like earlier in the week, that they'd had issues with this same prop. Um, and the live projectile that was in it, which was a blank, <laughs> but that doesn't mean it can't kill. It, a blank is simply a bullet without the bullet cap. It's mm. just, like, the interior stuff that explodes and, like, the casing. And so there's still things that leave the barrel of the gun. Yeah. So the camera crew is, behind, like, during filming, if the gun is being shot anywhere in the direction of the camera crew, they'll behind, be behind a safety barrier, and there's a lot of precautions that go into it. But the, he was told this bullet was unloaded. Why was not they behind loaded safety stuff then? Because they were rehearsing and the gun was a cold gun. That means As, it doesn't even have blanks in it? Yeah. Okay. A cold gun means it does not have anything in it. It is not a loaded gun. And they were told this is a cold gun, and when he pulled the trigger or the gun fired on its own, I've heard it both ways, um, it discharged a live projectile, which hit the director, Joel Souza, um, who is out of the hospital um, and recovering, and then it also struck the director of photography, Helena Hutchins, who was 42 and incredible. Um, and she was pronounced dead when she reached the hospital. She was phenomenal. She was by, um, I think American Cinematography is the magazine. She was named a rising star. Mm. She could have been the next um, Roger Deakins. Like, this woman was so incredibly talented. Um, and she was so excited about this project, which makes it even sadder. Like, she'd posted an Instagram video earlier in the week of them, like, riding horses on set, and she was so excited. And it's a horrible, horrible accident. But the thing that is really frustrating to me is that people are calling for Baldwin to be arrested, um, you know, blaming him, saying he should have checked the gun, and things like that. And those people have zero knowledge of how, um gun safety works on set. They also don't, under don't understand what people mean when they say prop gun. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to just explain what prop gun is real quick. So in on a set, there are a prop just refers to the role that an object plays. So like, for example, if you have a towel and an actor uses the towel to clean up a spill, that is a prop. If you have a towel that is hanging on a towel bar in a bathroom and nobody touches it, that's set decoration. If you have a towel that is being worn around somebody's waist, that is wardrobe. Um, so if you have a gun that is hanging on a wall just as decor in like a, a bar or someone like a cabin or something, that is set decoration. If you have a gun that is being handled by an actor during the course of a scene, 
that is a prop. So when people say it was a prop gun, they don't mean it was a fake gun. They mean that was the role of the gun on set, that the gun was intended to be handled by an actor during the scene. Um, and there are a lot of rules that go into the handling of guns on set. So after um, Bruce Lee's son Brandon Lee was killed by a blank on set on the set of The Crow in 1993, that is the last recorded accidental death by a prop gun on a movie set. Um, so they enacted stricter protocols. Um, whoever loads the gun, there is somebody witnessing the loading of the gun. It, the gun is only handled by the armorer or the prop master. Um, or sometimes they're the same person, sometimes it's two separate people. Depends on how much knowledge of guns the armorer or the prop master has, from what I've gathered. And the gun, a live gun, or a hot gun, as they call it, a gun with a blank, and it does not go into an actor's hand until right before they are filming the scene. Like, the director is about to call action, the prop master hands the actor the gun, they film the scene, the director calls cut, the prop master takes the gun back. The actor is not allowed to check the barrel, clear the gun, any of that stuff, because the minute they start messing with the weapon, it now has to be given back to the prop master and reset. Um, that is something that I think a lot of people don't realize that these safety protocols are very, very, very strict on a good set, um, and they work. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we haven't had an accidental death since 1993. Because these protocols, when they are done right, work. The problem was, was that um, it was already an unsafe set. The camera crew had walked off. I don't remember if it was the day before or the day of, I've heard some conflicting stories over when exactly the camera crew walked off, but they had literally brought in a non-union crew, a very inexperienced non-union crew, like hours before the incident. So Why? the crew walked off because of safety issues. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> because they did not feel safe. Um, Helena stayed and was trying to advocate for better safety on set. Why were they being unsafe? Like what? Because it was a low budget production, and the um, from the sounds of it, the armor they hired originally was non-union and has no credits to their name, and didn't that's know what they were doing. Responsibility of the producers and the director, like that's it's it's a whole mess. It's a whole mess. Like so, don't record the fucking thing if it's not safe. Like. <laughs> Period, yeah. you know? So, unfortunately, a lot of film sets are more unsafe than we like to think. Um, but a good one should be safe. That's the thing. Um, when you're dealing with actual so weapons? So, essentially, like... when it comes to the hiring of the armor, so there is a producer. So, Baldwin is actually a producer on this project, but he's one of, I think, eight or nine producers. Like, there's a big group of them, and his producer credit doesn't mean he had anything to do with who was hired. It just means he has some creative control over the storytelling. That's why Jared is an executive producer on Walker is because he has he gets creative control over the story. He has input where just being a lead actor he, he wouldn't have that. Yeah. So a lot of actors produce their own movies these days, especially the big names because it gives them more control. 
but that doesn't mean that he had any say over who was hired because they delegate. They delegate and they say, okay, you, lower down producer, it is your job to hire the, you know, camera crew. It's your job to hire the prop master and the props team. And so the one over that, that person part- should be so held partially responsible that for that person. All that. If they hired someone not who wasn't suited for the job, yeah, yeah. that they, they do hold some fault. Um, but whoever, so from what I've heard, the prop master was not on set, um, which is like prop masters are busy, which is why there should be an armorer. I don't know where the armorer was. Yeah, but. <laughs> What essentially happened was that he was handed a gun by an assistant director who should not have been handling props, who told him it was a cold gun, and it wasn't He probably a cold just gun. said that because... He didn't know. The prop person probably told him it was safe, and he's like, okay, he, it's safe. Um, if the prop person left, he probably did delegate to somebody, but I don't know why he would have delegated to an assistant director. Like, I'm pretty sure the props departments have, like, teams, you know? There's some <laughs> like, obvious, like, there's bad miscommunication some somewhere. terrible miscommunications that happened, and that that AD is never going to work again. I, I can... I already know it. Even if he's never charged with anything, he is never going to work on a film set again. Because he, sh- he or she or they should not have been handling a prop, and mm-hmm. should not have been the one to give the prop to the actor. Were they the ones that put like the guns together and stuff? No, the he can't, he took it off of a cart. So according so whoever to whoever gave him the stuff is the one in trouble, in my opinion. Well, they're the ones that should know if it's safe or not. Yeah. Right? So essentially, according to the New York Times, the assistant director grabbed a prop pistol from a gray cart and handed it to the movie star Baldwin, shouting "Cold gun," which was supposed to indicate that it did not contain any live rounds. He should not have handled the gun. He should not, that assistant director should not have picked up the gun. Whether or not the gun had bullets in it, he should not have been the one to pick it up because if the armorer or the prop master had been the one to pick it up, they would they have would been the one to which. load it yeah. and they would have known that this was not so a So where cold were gun. they at? <laughs> exactly. That's a, that's a big issue. They're still, obviously they're still investigating. It's literally only been like 36 hours since this even occurred at the time of this recording. But, so, according to the New York Times, um, so the first official account of the killing, which has rocked the entertainment industry and raised questions about workplace safety issues, was released late Friday in an affidavit filed by the Santa Fe Fe County Sheriff's Department seeking to search the rustic wood building where the shooting happened, a state magistrate judge granted the request, which includes examining the gun for biological evidence, as well as a review of cameras, film, memory cards, or other video recorders that may provide information. Um, it, the five-page filing provides many basic logistical details, but leaves many questions unanswered, namely how a, like, how this live round, um, ended up in a gun. Um, I have heard, I think I mentioned this earlier, I have heard that the live round wasn't it doesn't mean a bullet it's just a blank yeah (laughs) it's just their way of saying on set hey this gun is loaded (laughs) it's the same with when they say hot gun is they're saying nowadays though like with 
special effects and everything, do there even need to be blinks in a gun anymore? Like, it's for budget. It's for budget reasons. Um, it, it's literally to save money. That's the only reason. Because it is, is worth the safety, expensive though? to hire VFX artists. And so, yeah, that's the frustrating thing, is it's possible. John Wick does it. The John Wick movies, they yeah. don't use blanks. Yeah. They use, and they have been criticized for how unrealistic their muzzle flashes are sometimes, but muzzle flashes don't even always show up on camera that great. So, yeah. like, you know, the main reason, especially in a, a Western, which is, like, set in, like, the 1800s, I'd assume. More realistic or is whatever. the guns used at that time create smoke that is actually quite difficult to recreate with VFX. So that is like one of the primary reasons why they still use an actual weapon that fires. But even that with a big enough budget can and enough time and I'm sure a they VFX can create artist guns who knows that they're just doing. like emit smoke without a blank or yeah. stuff. Like yeah. it doesn't need to actually shoot something. But the know? problem is is that costs more money. They it costs them less money to This is to, fucking Hollywood we're talking about. Like it come on. It costs them less money to rent guns from a local firing range and buy a bunch of blanks and hire an armorer than they're willing to spend on VFX artists. So, okay. Um so according to the the assistant director according to Detective Joel Cano, I think is how you say his last name said that they did not know live rounds were in the prop gun. The weapon was set up on the tray by the movie's weapon specialist or armorer, along with a western-style gun belt used in the scene. Detective Cano did not say what the armorer told investigators who arrived at the Bonanza Creek Resort where the filming was shooting. Um, and then Miss Hutchins, who was 42, was sitting in front of Mr. Souza, the director, watching the scene play out when the projectile struck her. So, um... The armorer was given the prop gun after it was fired by the actor and then took the spent casing out of the weapon before handing it over to police. That's questionable. So, they turned his, his costume has also been turned over as evidence. Um. But. The, 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 the main thing that I'm frustrated about is the people who don't know anything about how safety, like, gun safety works on sets, like, spout going on and on about how they should have done it this way, and why didn't he check the gun, and if I was handed a gun, I'd check it, and, but he literally was not allowed to, and when you were an actor, like, he, you don't expect an, a guy playing a doctor to actually know how to do surgery, <laughs> you know, yeah. like, you shouldn't expect an actor to actually know how to do the things they're pretending to know how to do. I mean, they should... Obviously, with a gun, there are a few more things. Like, and they should get some they sort of safety do. training on they that. They are yeah. supposed to. That's the thing. And we don't know for sure how intense their safety training was. Even even on the I mean, set of... Even on Star Wars, they had weapons training. Yeah. And this is with like, fake weapons even, that weren't even, like, even real on set. on like. the set of John Wick, where they do not use blanks. Yeah. Keanu Reeves, before a big shootout scene, goes to a range and does like a week's worth of intense training. He's done three of these movies plus other movies where he's used guns. Like if you are using a gun on set, no matter how experienced the actor is with the gun, they do have to go through like weapons handling training and it is still kind of unknown if that actually happened based off of um, crew reports who said it was an unsafe set. Um, 
Jensen actually talked about the armorer <laughs> really? uh, at the convention at DenverCon this last weekend. He told an anecdotal story that was intended for comedy purpose about how he didn't tell the armorer that he's had 15 years worth of experience shooting prop guns on the set of Supernatural, which, by the way, it was one of the safest sets to work on. They took the extra time to be really, really safe with their prop guns, and nobody ever complained. So, um, but taken out of context, though, like, he's obviously not including all the details in this story because fans don't always want to hear all the nitty-gritty details, and he was trying to kind of, sounds like he's trying to get the story out fast, because they only had 30 minutes at the time, but... Essentially, the story that he tells is that the armorer asked him how much, like, if he had any gun experience, and he said, yeah, a little, and she showed him how she's like, okay, I'm loading the gun, this is, now the gun is loaded, now I want you to shoot it, you know, this direction, and actually, it sounds like did a pretty decent job, but there hasn't been any talk of, like, any, like, pre, like, training and stuff that the actors did with the weapons. They have been filming for a couple of weeks now. Um, but regardless of training, like I said earlier, if the prop person or the armorer loads the gun and someone witnesses, like an AD, someone, someone is standing witness to the fact of, like, that the gun is being loaded properly, and then the gun is not handed to the actor until it is to be used, and then the actor does the scene, fires the gun, and then when or fires it multiple times, depending on what kind of gun it is, how the scene goes. And then, when the director calls cut, the gun is taken back. So, he is not allowed to check the gun. Yeah. <laughs> because it is a liability issue. The prop master has set up the gun in a specific way, and if the actor messes with that, the prop master then has to take it back and redo it all and an actor will at the very least get a stern talking to probably get yelled at if it's a reoccurring issue be fired like because this is such a huge deal with safety on set um but the the frustrating thing is people are saying well he should have checked the gun the issue isn't whether or not he knew how to check the gun it's the fact that he trusted these people to do their job yeah Baldwin was trusting the crew to know how to do their job, to know how to do it safely, and to keep everybody else safe. And that gun should have, and most likely did, go through multiple hands to ensure that it was safe to be fired before it ever made it to that prop cart, and was mistakenly, I'm hoping, picked up by an AD who didn't know it was a live weapon. From the sound of it, they didn't know. Um... So, he trusted them to do their job, and to do it safely, and to do it right, and they broke that trust. And that is who's at fault here, is the people who didn't do their job. Oh, yeah. It's not on Baldwin for pulling the trigger, if he even pulled the trigger, since there has been some reports that the gun was misfiring on its own. Which, I don't think it's actually called misfiring. Misfiring is, like, when it doesn't go off. Yeah. When they pull the trigger and it doesn't actually fire. I think it's called a hang fire when it shoots on its own, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Why are they still using that gun if it has issues like that? Like... <laughs> yeah, apparently it's had issues. 
Especially like maybe not use that one with the blanks. Maybe just have that one to be the prop. It sounds like like the set was already having issues with safety, and then an AD did a job that they weren't supposed to do, and were not trained to do, and didn't have the knowledge to do. That wouldn't even place it all on the AD either. It's like. I think higher up, like yeah, and the prop master wasn't there. Yeah, it was the armorer not there? Like that AD should never have even gotten. Like that, I, if I that, don't understand if the, completely the hierarchy of, of like on the set. That's, yeah, but, like the I would ADs, put it on the director. Like. ADs do not touch props. Well, the thing is, is the director is delegating. The director is not in charge of the prop department. You know, and yeah, if the director didn't notice, he should know see, that the prop people are not on set or on set like that's their job it's a whole that's why they're still investigating (laughs) but the the, really i don't know if anyone is to blame necessarily but the people who seem at at this moment in time to have messed up the most are the ad who picked up a gun off a prop cart when they should not have yeah um the and the props department who were not keeping an eye on that prop cart because that AD should have been getting yelled at the minute he Got they touched it, a gun. Yeah. The minute they touched any prop. You're not supposed to touch the props unless the prop master and props department specifically says, hey, to touch the prop, you know? You don't mess with props. <laughs> it's a huge... That is the main, like, safety so concern. Where the fuck is were that, they? <laughs> like, yeah, where were they? That's yeah. that's the question is so like why was this even able to happen because if they were following proper safety protocols they shouldn't have the props yeah. out there without the prop people like yeah. someone made a Well and even if the props were out there someone that, made a call that higher AD, up made a call saying oh we don't need them basically Well I don't even think that was it that AD should not should have known better than yeah. to touch the props Well so, that too but why were they like, even on set without the props people like well, because you can set up props and then walk away, you know. But, yeah, there's definitely, there was, a, it sounds, from what we know so far, like there was an extreme lack of following safety protocols on this set. And the only thing that I would potentially blame Baldwin for is not setting a good standard. Because the reason Supernatural set was such high quality and people loved it so much was because Jared and Jensen set a very high standard for how cast and crew acted on that set. They have talked before in conventions how, like, they treated everybody on that set equally. Like, if you were a PA getting coffee or a producer, you were treated the same way, you know? They treated the people with the same level of respect. And, like, if a director who had never worked on the set before came in and started, you know, bullying a PA or bullying the camera crew, or then Jared and Jensen would step in. And if they saw something, they've talked before how... It would either be Jensen would um, de-escalate, or he would uh, allow Jared to escalate <laughs> in order to keep the balance of things on set and make things um, safe and uh, like just a general all-around good environment. So really the only thing I would potentially blame Baldwin for is not setting a high enough standard on set. But, like, I am even hesitant to blame him for that because the man is has to be traumatized. Yeah. I cannot even imagine, like, 
there's there's been some pictures that one news outlet posted and they of him outside the police station um yesterday and it is heartbreaking because he like i said he trusted his crew and they be they broke that trust and like i can't even imagine yeah it's so heartbreaking and helena was sounds like she was such an amazing woman like and we also like <laughs> like this is tragic no matter who died you know yeah. somebody dying on set is always tragic but the more i learn about her the more tragic it gets because we have so few directors of cinematography or directors of photography who are women yeah in this industry and she was incredible she was so amazingly talented she her eye for color and light and texture it was so gorgeous and like she could have gone on to do incredible things and because somewhere along the line someone messed up like it's so it's so heartbreaking i did not intend to talk about this for this long (laughs) i've been i've been following it basically since the news broke that there were police on set yesterday as far as i know also jensen is fine and all the cast and crew are receiving um like counseling provided by the production companies um and the production companies are doing their own internal investigations, trying to figure out where things went wrong. But hopefully this is a lesson for the film industry. Because um, if they had hired union crew members, well, they had hired union crew members, and if they had a good Just enough say, set oh, When you're to making begin budget with, cuts, don't cut safety stuff. Yeah. Cut something else instead. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really good way of putting it. Yeah, Don't... that should be the last thing you start cutting. Yeah, it's it's like the fucking in the Martian when they're sending up the rocket ship of supplies, and they they cut the in order to save time they cut the safety checks and like, and then the rocket blows up and they're like. Oops. <laughs> like, you don't cut... The things are there for a reason. Yeah, like... yeah. These safety protocols exist for a reason. And the thing is, is the safety protocols on set for working with guns, they work. When you follow them, they work. That's why we haven't had a gun death since 1993. Until like, now. Yeah, until now. And they didn't work because they weren't followed correctly. And really, that is the biggest lesson, is that we should be fault that it is not okay, especially when dealing with safety, to break protocols. They exist for a reason. Also, I have seen quite a few um, directors, writers, talking about how in the future on their sets, they will not be using blanks or live rounds of any kind that they will be doing all in VFX. I know Kripke tweeted about it, said that in all on all of his future projects they will use VFX for guns. And I think there I think I've seen a couple others whose names I don't remember. So and, I mean you got the technology for yeah, it now and like it's really, really the only reason or the like primary on film these days there's gonna be a VH what's it called? A VFX. VFX department, like is this kind oh, of yeah, they all protocol. Do. Oh. It's not even it's not even a matter of whether or not they have a VFX department or whether or not they're using VFX. It's 
Um, it didn't cost that much money to like. It definitely doesn't cost more than a on, life on a gun. <laughs> like yeah, it shouldn't be I that fucking difficult. One of the more difficult things of adding a muzzle flash is how the muzzle flash affects the set around it. Yeah, because it makes lights sense. up things around it. But you can. There is no way. There's not a practical way to recreate that oh, effect. Yeah. A little light on the end of a fake gun that cannot yeah. fire things. You know, like there's. There's gotta be, gotta be better ways. Hopefully, hopefully, what comes out of this tragedy is um, changes for the better on making sets safer for everybody. Because this really never should have happened, but it did happen, and now all we can really do as an industry is learn from it. So, yeah. And on that note, <laughs> should we talk about supernatural. <laughs> I am going to include, I'll have the link for the New York Times article, as well as um, an NPR article, and NPR also has a great one talking about the um, the rarity of onset, de- onset deaths from prop guns, and like, the history of them, and um, they have a really great interview with some industry, like, specialists about the safety on set, so it's a really, it's a pretty informative article, so I will also include that for you guys, because I think it is important in this time where we can all have an opinion on everything, to actually know what you're talking about. <laughs> That's been the most frustrating thing for me, is people screaming that Baldwin is a murderer, which murder implies intent, and I guarantee he did not intend for anything yeah. like this to happen. That's kind of the difference between um, a murder and an accident, and, you know? Yeah, yeah, and calling for his arrest and saying that he should have, you know, blaming him in ways. And the reason why they're blaming him is because they don't understand how this all works. Um, But yeah, I'll include links to all those articles. I will also include a link to the trailer for Arch Enemy, which is the um, feature film her feature-length film that Helena Hutchins um, was a cinematographer on. And I will also include an article to, I think it's a petition that I found that um, the, her family has put together to advocate for no more live guns on sets. So those will all be in the description box for you guys to check out and read through and sign and hopefully be better informed. All right, let's talk about Supernatural. (laughs) Now that I've talked myself out, (laughs) I really need to talk about that. It's been on my brain all day long. It's been driving me absolutely crazy. I had to frickin' close Twitter for the night because I was like, I can't deal with this. (laughs) 